Nuclear proliferation. Global pandemic. Famine. Environmental genocide. War. Mankind teeters on the brink of a second dark age. Everywhere you turn, chaos, anarchy, and shadow. In these bleak days, under the fading light, where businesses and the little guy are left for dead on the side of the byway, and people cry out for the rule of law, humanity is at a breaking point where there is no light at the end of the tunnel, and everything good seems to have been barred, or banned, or barred. Two men offer up their voices in the darkness, a shining beacon leading the huddled masses into the safe harbor of good business practices and occasional time travel. Here are your hosts, the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham, and L. Bradley Sheaf. That was a blast from the uh, past. Oh, Rockwell from the 1980s, I believe 1985 or four or five. Well, well, one of the 80s. And if I'm not mistaken, I, I think I heard a little hint, maybe a tinge of uh, a couple of the Jackson brothers in the background on that. I think that's probably right. Reggie Jackson and um, Michael. It could have been Reggie. I, I mean, I, it's not often you hear Mr. October on a uh, you know 1980s pop track, but I, I, I'm not in a position to definitively state he wasn't on it. We could talk, a whole episode could be dedicated to the Reggie bar, but we're not gonna do that today, Brad, because we have a special guest. You and I are finally gonna get to the bottom of the whole uh, conspiracy that has had people wondering who did it, um, why did they do it, when did they do it, where did they do it? Um, for uh, more than more than 50 years now. This is something that's been at the top of everyone's mind. And no, I'm not talking about the Loch Ness, Loch Ness Monster or the, the guy that helped cover up all those Clinton murders. Um, I'm talking about JFK, the JFK assassination. You and I are JFK about to dive in. JFK was assassinated? In. You and I are diving in. Why didn't anybody tell me this? Well, you know who's going to tell you? Our guest, Rob all Clark. Right. Well, all right. We are excited. 2021 on is opening up in a very big way for us. We have Rob Clark from the Lone Gunman podcast, who has graciously agreed to join us here as our first guest of the year. And uh, like I said, we're excited about it. We're really excited, Brad. I'll tell you what. So I, I learned of this podcast when I, uh, I started, you know, leafing through the, the, the phone and, uh, uh, picking some podcasts to listen to. And I get a, you know, I get up early, like you get up early. And so I'm like toddling around my house at like three in the morning one day in Dallas and pitch black. There's the, you get the coffee in the hand, the cats running around scaring the hell out of me. And I'm listening to this lone gunman podcast. It's like episode 150 something. And <laughs> um, no, seriously. And, uh, and Rob's going on and on. He's a great researcher of the JFK assassination and he's going on and on and I realized after about listening to this for five minutes and looking around that I'm scared as hell because everyone's asleep I'm in Dallas it's dark 
you know, it's, you know, cloaked in darkness with the, the whole conspiracy thing in the town that killed Kennedy. And this guy's going on and on reading from the Warren Commission report, reading from the garrison transcripts. And so I'm like, we got to get this guy on the show. And then the whole global pandemic happened and, you know, the whole thing at the Capitol and the, 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 the impeachment and then another impeachment. But we're finally here. So, Rob, it's great to great to have you. And how about that for an intro? Fantastic. Never heard another one like it. I appreciate it, guys. <laughs> I have one question for you, though. Where right. can I find a producer like Jared? I need one badly. He's great. You so guys are lucky. We found him at the local YMCA. Bragg works out there four days a week. And they just, they met there. You know, how, you know who else used to work out at the YMCA all the time? Who? In Dallas? Oswald. Jack Ruby. Ah, he had a pool too. He liked to swim. I'm kind of like a uh, a minor league JFK conspiracy guy. We've, we've got the whole, one of the first things I bought and we bought our new house in Dallas was one of those, the whole volume of the uh, Warren Commission report. So Brad can attest to this. I've got two shelves lined with the thing and I'm, I'm dedicated to solving it on this podcast here today. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your work in the JFK case and your, and your terrific podcast? It's kind of hard to find friends or people to talk to about this kind of stuff just because most people are like, well, who cares or whatever, you know, and I spent at that point 25 years looking into the case, researching, reading, you know, uh, just absorbing everything I could trying to figure things out just like everybody else. And I didn't really have anybody to talk to about it. So I figured why not start a podcast so I can just talk about it and, uh, you know, get feedback from listeners and make new friends and uh, so far, it's worked out great. And here we are five or six years later. Awesome. And you've got you've got over 100, I think it was 150 plus episodes now in the podcast. But here's the million dollar question, right? This is what it all comes down to. Who did it, right? Is it the Cubans, the mob, some <laughs> Bosnian anarchist, the Secret Service? Is it Oswald, someone behind the grassy knoll, in front of the grassy knoll? You, What, what do you think? What does your gut tell you? D, all the above. No. Um, <laughs> you know, my opinion has changed over the years based on various things, based on new information coming out. Um, you know, you might watch a documentary and be convinced that Lyndon Johnson was behind the whole thing. The more and more I look at it, the more and more I'm convinced that there's always a problem with every solution that I've heard so far whether it be the mafia did it or the anti-Castro Cubans or uh, whoever um, you want to blame for it. Uh, nobody has found the definitive answer yet. And that's why people are still looking into it. Here we are, you know, 58 years after the assassination, you know, I'm sure whoever planned this did a great job because personally, you know, I don't believe that Oswald was on the sixth floor shooting that crappy rifle. You know, and there is some evidence that maybe the shots came from different directions other than the sixth floor window. And that's why, uh -oh. you know, I have so much stuff to talk about because it there's never it, the well never goes dry. It is the gift that keeps on giving. So the way we do our podcast is we have little segments and we try to have uh, little tips for folks that are managing their own business and trying to get through this hell of a year that, uh, well, you know, now into year two of it that we've, uh, we've all sort of encountered together. So the first segment we, we, we start with today is one called Level Set the Looters. And in this segment, we just sort of have a couple of uh, key topics that we talk about. Usually it's current events when it's just me and Brad, but if it's a guest, we try to um, come up with topics that would be uh, interesting for the, uh, for the guests. So in this case, it's 
three questions Brad and I came up with, and, and we'll take them one at a time. The first one, Rob, you've already touched on, right? What role did future American presidents play in the death of JFK, right? You've got LBJ in the motorcade, clearly wanted Kennedy dead, hated him. You got Nixon in Dallas that day with Howard Hunt running around behind the grassy knoll. And he was, you know, one of the Watergate burglars. I think Brad knew him personally. And then George H.W. Bush, his name keeps on showing up in address books. Was he in Dallas that day? I don't know. But if you had to rank those three, you know, who had the, who's the most culpable for JFK's uh, death? And then you just sort of go down the list, second and third. Uh, I guess I would put Lyndon Johnson at the top. And only because, you know, I don't believe Kennedy was going to have him uh, as his vice president, you know, when he ran again. Um, he was a really a piece of shit human being. Uh, when you read what he made his uh, Secret Service detail do, how he treated people, you know, he would he would uh, pee on their shoes. He would have them surround him in the Rose Garden and he would pee on their shoes. Um, you know, he had his way with uh, many, many secretaries in the White House. He was just a horrible human being. Um, second, I would rank Nixon, I guess, with third being George Bush. I don't think he was involved at all. And there's no evidence whatsoever he was even in the CIA back then or had anything at all to do with the assassination other than uh, some people think it's him in a photograph outside of uh, the school book depository there. Uh, shortly after the assassination, but he was actually uh, running for the uh, House of Representatives in Texas at the time and giving a speech in Tyler, Texas, uh, a luncheon speech for the Kiwanis Club. So it wasn't him. Um, but yeah, that would be the order. You know, what's interesting, Rob, and I mean, you would have no way of knowing this, but my old man who is still around and uh, doing fine, started his FBI career on the Johnson detail. Now, this was after the assassination. He started in 1966. Um, but he could uh, he could tell you some funny stories about your boy Johnson there. The second level set topic, so that was good. That's helpful. LBJ, then Nixon, then Bush, distant third. Who were the three tramps in that uh, famous photo? Was one of them Howard Hunt? One of them looks a lot like Brad although he wouldn't be able to really age much. But what do, you, what do you think about that? Are they relevant or not relevant at all? I would say they are not relevant. The three arrest records for the Tramps were actually found in the late 80s, early 90s. And their names were Harold Doyle, Gus Abrams, and John Jedney. And they had absolutely nothing to do with the assassination other than the fact that they were on the wrong, wrong train at the wrong time. Gotcha. And then the last, the last one of these level sets that we've got for this week is uh, Ruby and Oswald. It seems kind of coincidental that the guy who blows away the president gets blown away a couple of days later. Um, lots of folks said that they saw the two of them together at Ruby's whorehouse in Dallas um, or, or strip club. Is this, uh, is, is it coincidental? Did Ruby just love uh, the Kennedys and really want to, uh, avenge Jackie Kennedy, or is there something more to it? Or is it a mob hit? Well, to address the first part of that, um, I would say that it's a case of mistaken identity. Uh, at about the same time, Oswald started working at the School Book Depository. Jack Ruby uh, happened upon a fellow by the name of Larry Crayford at the Texas State Fair. And he was a drifter type guy. 
and uh, he offered him a free room and board in exchange for working at his carousel club. And this guy, uh, Larry Crayford, uh, bore a striking resemblance to Lee Harvey Oswald, which I, th I believe accounts for many of the Oswald Ruby sightings, you know, before the assassination. Uh, and so far, in my opinion, no credible witness has come forward saying definitively, yes, I saw Oswald and Ruby together. Now, uh, as far as Jack Ruby and the mafia is concerned, I believe there definitely were connections uh, to organized crime with Jack Ruby. I mean, you don't, you don't get in that kind of business without having some kind of connections. I don't know if it meant anything to the assassination per se, or, but I'm sure it had something to do with making sure Oswald never made it to trial. Yeah, it just seems too coincidental, right? What do you think, Brad? Well, I was just going to ask that. So why, why, why do you say that? I am not nearly the aficionado of the JFK assassination, you know, even that David is, let alone that you are. So, you know, as, a, as an investigator, the first thing you want to ask yourself is, okay, I've got this crime. What's the motivation, right? And so sometimes that's self-evident. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's much harder to, to figure out. So I guess I'm curious as to what you see as being, you know, with all of these potential players, what you see as being the motivation for the one that you see as, you know, perhaps you know, leading the race in the contenders of who killed Kennedy. And then, you know, it, obviously you believe there was some, some aspect of organized crime that was involved in this. So what, what was their motivation and, and why would they have, you know, sort of pushed Ruby in this direction? There is hard testimony from a, a guy named Lauren Hall, who was a, basically a, a mercenary, a self-proclaimed mercenary type guy who was in jail in Cuba with Santos Traficante at the time. And, you know, you can tie these guys together. Uh, there's John Martino, who was a CIA operative in, in Florida, who used to go on these Cuban raids. Um, and when you actually sit down and read their testimony, their immunized testimony for the HSCA, you realize that these guys are really talking serious business here. You know, there's talk of $30,000 being exchanged. But you also have a lot of these um, anti-Castro types back then who were very upset about what went on at the Bay of Pigs. A lot of the Cubans lost a lot of their friends and family. Um, a lot of Americans lost their lives down there. Um, and they blame Kennedy for no air support, uh, no backup. And so you have a lot of these anti-Castro types running around, extreme right-wingers uh, going around the country, giving these impassioned speeches and, and, and uh, collecting money and supplies for these self-styled Cuban raids um, that these guys said they were going to do because they were that upset, uh, you know, with the way that Castro was, uh, you know, aligning himself with Russia and communism and it's 60 miles off our shore. And these guys figure, well, if the United States is not going to do anything about it, then we are. And, uh, you know, the early sixties was a wild time, man. That's why uh, me and my buddy call them the gunboat cowboys, you know? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine extreme white ringers running around your country giving speeches? I mean, that must be odd. Can't imagine that happening today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not much has changed then, huh? 
Uh, we're here on IP Frequently, which we are uh, being brought to you as every week by the um, self-aware patent analytics platform, IPedia. IPedia, the only um, self-aware patent analytics platform uh, making life better for patents everywhere, IPedia, the automation of innovation. Uh, next, Rob, we have Management Corner. This is where Brad and I um, talk about management lessons from life events. And today we're obviously talking about the JFK assassination and your study of that. You know, it's a good question, Rob, that, that I, Brad and I have debated, or at least I've debated with Brad over a cigar and a good port over the years is, why didn't Oswald shoot Kennedy when he was driving towards him? And he could have shot him right in the, in the, you know, the front shot. Why did he wait till they turned and then started driving away? Well, that's, of course, assuming that Oswald was up there shooting. I think if he would have shot while the car was coming at him, a lot more people would have been able to yeah, maybe point him out and, and spot where the shots are coming from. I just I, always I, assumed he was wrapped up in a good book. I mean, he was in that book depository, <laughs> lots of books in there, and he, he probably intended to take the easier shot, but, you know, didn't reach the end of the chapter in the motor, until the motorcade was past him. But I, I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, he was busy, you know, up there putting the gun together with a dime, uh, so the Warren Commission says. So maybe it took a little longer you know, to put his gun back together. Who well, that's, that's a good segue into our next segment, which is the question of the week. And this question of the week, uh, again, again, chosen from all of our listeners that have submitted them. Um, hey, David and Brad, what do you guys think of the Warren Commission report? Was the fix in? And what's up with Earl Warren anyway? And that's from Patrick in Florida. So Rob, what do you think? The Warren Commission, was it just a bunch of bunk or did it, uh, did it make sense? Let's see. That's a that's a very convoluted answer. I think they were intent on proving the point that Lee Harvey Oswald was the single lone assassin from the very beginning. Uh, Earl Warren didn't want any part of this commission. Uh, he turned it down two or three times until LBJ finally begged him and begged him to, to take control of this commission. Uh, he didn't really sit in on a lot of the work was done by the uh, under tier lawyers um, and based off of the FBI's investigation and the reports that they turned over to the Warren Commission. So it's biased from the beginning because I believe the FBI had some things to hide and uh, they didn't want those to come out. And therefore you can point to investigation in any direction you want to and make things look a certain way well you got to remember about oswald okay it's the height of the cold war early 60s late 50s and he defects to russia for two and a half years marries a, a russian woman with a very questionable background um and brings her back to the united states so you, you're going to tell me that the fbi is not going to be watching this guy uh, very closely and his wife uh, to make sure that they weren't turned to make sure that she's not a spy, you know, just to keep tabs on this guy. From what we know now, um, it's very likely. I mean, we know the FBI did meet with Oswald and talk to him about, you know, Russia when he got back. So the FBI kind of dropped the ball or at least they, it, would, it appeared that way. If, if Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone assassin of the president, 
then why wasn't the FBI keeping a better eye on this guy? You know, we do want to talk about this week in innovation because innovation is an important concept to entrepreneurs, um, to uh, folks who are in different technology areas. And when you look at the JFK assassination, one of the really interesting things is that standing up there next to the grassy knoll using a uh, really cool piece of technology from Bell and Howell is uh, Abram Zapruder, right? And uh, the Zapruder film and the story yes. of the Zapruder film and how it was sold to Time Life and then back to the family um, is is just a great uh, is a great um, a great story. The Bell and Howell name back then was synonymous with uh, innovation in the in the field of uh, um, you know everything from cameras to uh, car parts and everything in between. Um, and then the Zapruder film is the most famous home movie this side of like the Kim Kardashian tape, right? Um, but here's a question I always had because I, I, you you always look at the Zapruder film as the um, as sort of home base for the JFK assassination. He's really close to the grassy knoll, right? He's within 10, 15 feet or so of that fence. Um, and you would think if someone is that close to a shot coming, you know, Zapruder standing there from his right, there would be some, you know, huge jolt or some huge, you know, lunge or jump or, or, or something on the part of Zapruder to react, right? Or to protect himself. And there wasn't anything like that in the film. Does that matter? Is that something you've ever thought of in terms of watching that film and trying to figure out, you know, where these shots are coming from? Uh, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a Pruder film. That's how he first based the timing of the shots was his little flinches uh, because there is some flinches in, in the movie, you know, at the time of the shots. So that's how they kind of uh, figured out when, you know, the shots were fired and mashing it to the movie. We have a segment here called Time Machine. And usually what we do in Time Machine is we send Brad back in time, right? Not literally, again, figuratively, because we haven't, we haven't invented the time machine yet. But assuming you had a time machine, we send him back in time, like in the Terminator movie. Remember the Arnold Schwarzenegger film? Oh, yeah. Goes, goes back in time or forward in time and just all over... Um, Al Fresco, and he is sent into some historical point um, in the past, and he has choice a choice to make, some fundamental choice that could change the world, or he could just, you know, bet on sports for 20 years and amass a massive fortune. So hypothetically speaking, right, you're sent back in time, right? Uh, you go back to November 22nd, 1963, say at 11 a.m., right, local time, and we always send our um, warrior Brad back in time with like a four pack of Zima. You ever have a Zima? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cold beverage. So <laughs> yeah, we said you a four. Yeah. 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 That's no, it's a nice, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice refreshing treat. So it's November 22nd, 1963, 11 AM. You're back there with a four pack of Zima and some vintage 1963 Bell and Howell camera, right? No other technology. Right. You don't have a cell phone. There are no satellites. Um, so here's here, here's sort of the fundamental questions you have. Do you save try to save JFK? Do you try to prove the conspiracy by positioning yourself near the grassy knoll and getting photographs of people behind it or across the street or the turkey shoot? Or do you just like drink the Zima and sit back and start betting on the 63 NFL season? <laughs> so what do you uh, and Brad, I know where you'd go with this. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So hello. <laughs> hello, National Football League, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, Rob, what would you uh, what would you do if that were if that were you and you were stepped back in time? 
Well, I couldn't pass up a golden opportunity. And I have thought about this before, believe it or not. I would be positioning myself on the sixth floor of the depository just so I would know whether or not Oswald was guilty, whether or not I've been wasting all these years of my life looking in and trying to prove a conspiracy. Um, that was That is where I would be. I like you want to be careful there, Rob, because if you're on the sixth floor of the book depository, you're likely to wind up under arrest. And you're, you know, you're, you've got four Zimas that you're going to have to explain. And no one's, that's a drink of the future. That's a drink of the future. You might be able to bribe the arresting officer with a Zima. So look, Oswald made it out. I could make it out, you know, just follow him out. Right. I had behind a couple of boxes just to see uh, what's going on. And if it's him shooting and he starts running, I'm right behind him. You know what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, well, that's a good <laughs> answer. I like, I like that. So finally, our final segment is called Barter Band. Barter Band, it's a bronze Stevie. I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Stevie Awards, but we actually won a bronze Stevie Award for this segment. Barter Band, it's where... We uh, debate whether or not something should be barred or banned, first by trying to figure out what the difference is between the two, and then trying to figure out if something is warranting a barring or a banning or a banishment, I guess, um, for that matter. Yeah. So in this case, uh, Brad and I have talked about it, barred or banned, um, Jim Garrison and his investigation. Uh, is it is it something that was warranted? Uh, is is it something that was just a joke? Like uh, some people, uh, a lot of people say that Garrison was just uh, out for for publicity. Um, should it be barred or should it be banned or should it be something that we actually look to with some semblance of uh, respect? Personally, I think it took a huge set of balls to do what he did, and that the world is a better place for him at least trying to do so. Now, that is not saying that he was on the right track and trying to get the right people convicted, but I think his investigation, everything we got from it, um, I think he was off course trying to uh, nail Clay Shaw as being part of the conspiracy. So, Brad, so I Clay- say barred, but not banned. Barred, but not by. Yeah. I like it. So um, we have come to the end of our uh, end of our podcast here, Rob. Anything you want to uh, say or tell our uh, listeners how they can uh, can look you up and listen to your great podcast? Sure, uh, you can listen to the Lone Gummin podcast on just about every platform available out there. Uh, if you can't find it, just Google it; you'll find it. Um, I also do another JFK related podcast called Quick Hits, a JFK assassination news and notes podcast with my buddy Doug. And uh, we also do a, a comedy podcast that has nothing to do with the JFK assassination called BTFU. That's back the F up. And uh, you can find that anywhere as well. You know, the, the usual suspects, Spotify, uh, Apple, Google, uh, anywhere you can find great podcasts, anywhere you can listen to IP frequently, you can listen to my shows, I'm sure. Well, that's, that's terrific, Rob. Um, I, I know from listening to the, uh, Lone Gunman. It's a great, uh, it's a great podcast. We'll have to listen to some of your other uh, podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been, uh, it's been great. I, I, I find this topic, uh, topic absolutely fascinating. So thank you, uh, Brad. Uh, once again, uh, you and I have uh, carried, uh, carried another show forward. And next week we'll be uh, debating the COVID response, the impeachment of the president and the uh, inauguration of yet another president. This has been IP Frequently, once again clearing a forest of lies 
with the machete of truth. You're welcome.